Hello, everyone. I'm Dominique. And I'm Christina. And we are the Connected in Glass podcast. Every week, we will feature interviews with glass artists who speak to their creative processes and overcoming challenges. These conversations are real and raw. We hope that by sharing these stories, you're able to find some connection and know that you're not alone. We just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. We're super passionate about this project and work for hours every week to bring you this content. So if you'd like to help support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash connected in glass. Also, please consider joining our Facebook group, Connected in Glass Community, where we continue the conversations from these episodes. We'd love to hear from you. This episode of Connected in Glass is sponsored by Diddy Clips. Diddy Clips has changed the way we film our glassblowing videos, and we're proud to be working with them. Today, we're interviewing Heather Barrent. She's a glass artist currently based in Rochester, New York, who's been working with glass since 2008. Hello. Hi. Hey. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So we're so excited to get to know you. At first, we want to just skip the glass part of your life for now. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, and what you do for fun besides glass. Okay. Well, as you know, my name's Heather Barrent, and I currently live in Rochester, New York. I live here with my husband, my two cats. We own our house here. I'm originally from California. I moved here in 2003. So, you know, getting used to the snow was super fun. But when I'm not working with glass, I try to work on myself, work on fitness and taking up running recently. I do try and do a little bit of drawing and painting and just, you know, other artistic endeavors. That's about it. Cool. That must have been a big change. Going yeah. <laughs> but I'm used to it now, but took a bit. All right. So can you tell us about how you started working with glass? Okay. Well, back when I was in high school in California, I was a music nerd. And my last year, I kind of wanted a break from it. So for my elective, I chose art workshop where we did like stained glass. There's a little bit of flame working, fusing, just kind of a little bit of everything. I was more into the stained glass, but that was kind of how I got bead making in my head. And then later on, when I had an apartment, it was like, mm, stained glass, I don't really have a space for it. Let's try flame working. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but, you know, that's how it works out. So started doing that with the, you know, traditional hothead kit that a lot of people end up having in my apartment. Probably not the safest idea, but it is what it is. But I did stop and realized this probably isn't a good idea. So let's go ahead and save up for a house and build a proper studio. So then 2008 hit, and that's when we bought the house, set up a proper studio, and I really started getting into lamp working. And can you tell us about the style of work that you were kind of pursuing when you started, and then maybe tell us a little bit about how it evolved to what you're doing now? Well, I mean, I started, I think, like how a lot of people do when you're trying to figure out your style, you try a little bit of everything, you know, you see the things you like, and like, look up a tutorial, I'm going to do that. So I did, you know, a lot of basic flowers and dots and just the things that everybody starts with. And I really, I really wanted to do stringer work, like I really enjoyed patterns, scroll work, stuff like that. So that's kind of where I 
focused. And I feel like I really hit on a good thing when I started to do music beads, because that was a good combination of stringer. And I mean, I had a background in music. And then beyond that, I was trying to find other things that I could do with stringer that really stood out among the crowd, because, you know, it's hard to stand out sometimes when there's so many people working glass. And that's kind of how I've gotten into the cat drawings that I like to do now. So those are done entirely with stringer. They're done freehand. And, you know, I'm a crazy cat lady. So again, my area of expertise that I can share with everyone. And did you take classes with other people or did you kind of figure it out on your own as you went? I started off on my own, but I have since taken some classes, none really that are specifically stringer based, but like uh, Corning is like an hour and a half drive for me. So I've been able to take a couple classes there, you know, working on some Murini and just, it's funny, you'll take a class and it'll be on something specific. And what you get from it most is just like the little things that people do on their own, like the small techniques that really help you every day. So I've accumulated a lot from that, just watching other people work and taking whatever classes I can. Did you kind of pursue glass initially as just a hobby or was it always like a very professional mindset that you were going into it with? You know, that's always the dream of, you know, just live off of your art, even though it's usually doesn't exactly work out the way you picture it. It was always oh, that'd be cool if that worked out. But, you know, I didn't actually think it would. But, you know, I put in the time and I put in the work and was eventually able to go full time. I started by going part time at my retail job. And uh, a little over a year ago, I quit the part time job. So now this is my full time gig. So cool. Congratulations. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about the studio space that you have now? And also you're almost entirely working soft glass, right? Are you working with Moretti or? Yep. I'm primarily working with Moretti, Effetri glass, you know, the occasional CIM, double helix, that kind of thing, but all 104 based. I do work. I have played a little bit with borosilicate. In fact, I do occasionally assist in the local studio teaching some of the borosilicate date nights, which is, you know, very beginner. Back to the studio, I primarily work from home. So I have a split level house and the bottom portion is pretty much all devoted to glass. at this. So I'm mostly working alone. You know, it's very quiet until I, you know, turn up my music and jam out. But I also do occasionally work out of the Arc and Flame Center, which is about 40 minutes away from me. And I teach some beginner classes there. So I always have access to that if I want to work with other artists. But I, I'm kind of a recluse sometimes. And I like to just go downstairs and get some work done. So what kind of mindset do you need to go into work by yourself versus going into like a public studio and teaching? It's a little challenging sometimes because, you know, it's very free form. So if I want to hang out in my pajamas, I can, but it's probably not going to be very, very productive. So a lot of times I really have to force myself downstairs, even with just making a list of this is the production I have to start with. And usually that kind of gets me going. And then, you know, ideas might flow a little more freely and I can make the more interesting work. But for me, that bread and butter type of work really helps me in the long run with my creative work because it gets me down there. It gets me warmed up, you know, gets me a good 
gets me good practice on the foundational skills. How do you go about pricing your work? And has that changed at all since you've started having glass as your full-time? Pricing is always challenging. I know that's kind of everybody's challenge. You know, I used to kind of follow the $1 per minute formula as kind of a guideline, but now I don't track it as much. I do. I try to look at how much time I'm really putting into it. It's just, it's really difficult sometimes because, you know, people will see your work and they're like, oh, that's so great. And then you say, oh, it's this much money. You're like, oh, that's nice. You know, it suddenly makes it more real when you attach a price to something. So it can be very difficult. So I do have to force myself to like, you know, don't sell yourself short. I might not be the person who would buy this. I'm not my customer, but it needs to be priced appropriately or else it's not going to be sustainable. What are the different manners in which you sell your work? Do you mostly sell it on your own or do you sell to other like retail locations? I am mostly selling through social media right now. I do have a couple local galleries, but you know, since COVID has happened, it's actually several of them have shut down. So I need to go out and look for but mostly I sell through trunk shows on Facebook. That's where I sell my jewelry components. And then I usually sell marbles through some Facebook groups and a lot on Instagram. So I do have my own website and that's where most of the sales come from. I bet you took so much of your past retail life experience and then to be able to apply it to something you actually want to sell. Yeah, I, yeah, you could say that. I mean, so much of the work goes into just like taking proper pictures and disciplining yourself to actually list the items instead of, hey, I made this thing, you know, taking the measurements, putting in the price, the marketing. There's just so much that goes into it that is not, you know, the fun, artsy life that a lot of people like to imagine. What's your process for when you come up with a new design? Do you draw it out or do you just take it right to the torch or can you visualize it in your head? I definitely need to draw things out. I'm a very big believer in prep work because when you're holding, you know, a two inch ball and like you don't have something ready, it's kind of a formula for trouble. So I actually start by sketching out most of my designs. I'm a very big believer in drawing, working on that skill because I think that's going to help me in glass. So I start by drawing something out in my sketchbook. It can be as detailed or I even like write down the colors. I pretty much try and lay out as much of an outline and as a game plan as I can. I get everything out, kind of double check, make sure I'm good, you know, go to the bathroom, am I hydrated? All that kind of, just like the mental checklist of like, okay, am I ready to devote four plus hours sitting here? And then I start getting into it. And hopefully I don't run into any problems that I didn't foresee, but overall, that mental checklist and drawing things out really helps me out. Do you ever feel stuck or like you don't feel inspired to make anything? And if so, how do you get out of that? That happens a lot. And especially since the pandemic, that's really been hitting me hard. And that's why as much as it can be kind of boring, the bread and butter work, like that really does help me because half the work is just getting myself in front of the torch and starting to make something, even if it's junk, you know, it's just putting in the time. So 
that's one of the things I do is I just like make a list of the, you know, stuff that I can rattle out. And eventually I get to the point where I'm like, oh, this could be a cool idea. I'll write that down for later. Or even if I just have a chunk of time, I can kind of test things out. And it kind of gets me a little more into that creative mindset. Another thing that's been really helpful for me in particular with my style is I started getting into drawing and not just like drawing for the sake of making a game plan, like actually drawing to make a finished product. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Inktober. It's like a drawing thing in October where there's 31 prompts and you draw something for each day. You know, you can pick up as many or as few as you want, but the goal is to do all of them and share them. So I started that last year and it really helped me to kind of get out of the funk that I was in because, you know, there's a little bit of pressure that you're putting on yourself to complete something every day. So while I know this is pen and paper, it really helped me to write down some ideas that I can eventually revisit in glass. And some of them I have, some of them they're, you know, for later, maybe we'll see. But that was a big help for me. Do you know what imposter syndrome is? Is that something that impacts your life? I wish I didn't know what imposter syndrome is, but unfortunately it's very much a thing, you know, just like everyone else. I think I have it constantly and it's almost like I have to reason with myself in my head. Like there's two parts of me and one's like, oh, I'm insecure. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I I should get a real job. And then the other part, the other part of me is like, no, you've been published. People have purchased your work. You do nice things. Like it's like, it's almost like I have to reason with myself and give myself legitimate proof that I'm an artist, even though, you know, you don't need that proof, but that helps me. And I still struggle with it. And I'm sure I always will, but maybe it keeps me humble. Who knows? Do you ever struggle with putting any of your work out there? I don't have trouble putting my work out there just as a picture of look at what I made. I feel like the bead making community, which is kind of where I first started, were very, very supportive, a lot of nice people. And that made it easier when I was a beginner. It gets harder when I put a price tag on something because then I'm assigning a value to it. And that makes sometimes kind of undermines my confidence a little bit. But just showing what I've made and showing my process, generally, I find fairly easy. And I like it because it's an opportunity opportunity to educate people, especially when like maybe someone sees one of my drawings and was like, oh, I could draw stick figures better than that. And like, maybe you can, but can you do it in glass? And I can show them my process and then they might step back like, oh, I get it. Okay. Seriously, right? Those stringers, you're yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, impressive. So if you were to split the ways that you make your income into a pie, maybe it's like ever changing seasonally, but like how much percentage of your income is made by like your more production items, like helping teach classes and like your like fun one-off items? Like, is there a way that that's split or does it kind of always change? You know, it does always change, but I would say, you know, an average over the year, probably a third is like the fun, unique, one-of-a-kind projects probably about 50% would be the bread and butter type of things, which for me, a lot of it is the jewelry components that I'm combining with electroforming. And then, well, so I got 20% and probably about 20% is teaching. 
because that, that's kind of gone down a little bit with pandemic and stuff. And what would you say would be your personal definition of success? Or do you feel like you're already successful? That's one of those things that's ever evolving. You know, like when I first started, it was success was, hey, I made a round bead. I have made a success. And then it goes to like, I have mastered, well, sort of mastered stringer. You know, you keep setting that bar higher for yourself all the time. So, you know, it used to be like when I can quit my full-time job, when I can quit my part-time job, you know, when I can get into this certain gallery. So I have achieved goals and I'm proud of myself, but I know that there's always more to do and there always will be. Totally. I kind of want to go back to how you said that you pick up on little things that people have done when you're watching them work. Mm -hmm. What's some of the big ones that you utilize? Okay, here's an example. A while back, I took a paperweight course. And this was done at the torch, not at the furnace. And I mean, I learned a lot. I never really made paperweights. But the biggest thing I think I got from that was the ability to use a boro punty as opposed to a soft glass one. Like it's a very tiny part of that class, but we used it a lot. And now I use that every time I make marbles. That was a game changer for me. So that's like one such example. Another thing is at the Ark and Flame Center, because I can take classes there because I work from there, like I've taken most of the Boro courses. And while I haven't really gotten that into doing Boro, I've gotten a lot out of it because it's all off mandrel stuff that I can translate into soft glass. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Like learning those like basic skill sets are transferable. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of times, especially with 104 soft glass, you kind of limit yourself a little bit because you're working on a mandrel. You know, you just kind of assume this is, this is the first thing I grab when I start working. This is, this is always going to be there, but I really feel like it opens up a lot of doors. So the stuff that you make is really unique and your style is just like clearly yours, but do you ever find that you have people that mimic your work or like as you're teaching people admiring your body of work and like almost kind of copycatting you a little bit or do you find that it's just so hard for other people to replicate that it just kind of stands on its own I feel like there's so many things you can do with stringer I mean you can do patterns you can draw things like I'm trying to do you can you know make music there's just so many things that you can do I feel like if someone was specifically copycatting what I was making like it would be extremely obvious (laughs) you know what I mean like I feel like everyone like if they wanted to do kind of fun cartoony kind of things they would have their own take on it because we're all you know we all come from a different background we have our own animals that we like or scenarios we find funny So I haven't really come across it too much, never know in the future, but it's also, I don't teach a lot of stringer. I mostly teach the beginner kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense that you're kind Mm -hmm. of teaching, like they're not even at the skill set where you're touching them. Yeah, I, I do teach a stringer class, but you know, we definitely use thicker stringers and it's, you know, it's kind of a jumping off point for people. Anything I've done more in depth has kind of been like a one-on-one kind of thing, just because it's very specific. So it can be a little difficult to get enough people 
interested in that very specific tiny skill set. One question that we like kind of talked, we didn't really fully discuss, but do you have any experiences with anxiety and depression? Because that's something that Christina and I both battle with a lot. So it's nice to hear other people's experiences with that. Yeah, I have had some struggles, especially I think it's become more apparent with the pandemic, just like many other people. So I have been, particularly in the past two years, really trying to focus in on my mental health through medication, talking things out, meditation, journaling. I've been trying a lot of things and just seeing what works for me. That's actually one of the reasons I got into running earlier in the year, because I had quit my part-time job and I was realizing like, hey, I'm not really leaving the house. That's probably not healthy. So I started doing that both as physical exercise and just as a mental, you know, get me out of the house, get me away from social media and the computer. And it really helped me. There's been a lot of things and everything helps a tiny bit. Nothing is going to make it go away completely, but, you know, I do my best and some days I, some days I'm super productive. Some days I'm kind of a blob, but I, you know, I always show up. I do my best. I try and make something, even if it's just, you know, a bread and butter kind of boring sellable item, but it's still, I'm putting in the time. And that's the thing that's important. At the end of the day, I, I actually journal and I write down kind of what I did that day. And that helps me to see like, hey, you know, I did okay. I did some work. I got some things done. I talked to people. You know, it kind of proves to me like, hey, you know, you're doing okay. You got this. Doesn't always work, but, you know, it helps. So you said you're married, right? Is your partner a creative person or are they like on the opposite spectrum as you? He is somewhat creative. He used to be more into creativity and art. But, you know, as you get older, sometimes it's like, you know, you get the, you know, go get a job, go earn money. So he's kind of not doing as much as he used to, but he does really help me out because he is kind of a tech nerd. And that is super helpful for me with basically any computer issues I have. I've kind of let my own computer knowledge go because I'm just like, hey, Kurt, want to help me with this thing? And he's always happy to do that. So he's incredibly supportive and I could not do it without him. We all need one of those techie people around. Mm, No, very invaluable. I was wondering if you found that working from home, if you have to have a specific routine in order to kind of get yourself going, or if you just kind of ease your way into your day and kind of go with the flow. That is a work in process that I am especially struggling with lately. I don't know if it's too much, but I started medication recently that has just completely zonked me of energy. It's like, I will sleep 14 hours if I don't, if left unchecked. So I am really trying to work on my sleep hygiene and getting up and just getting started on stuff. So like for a while, I was trying to ingrain this habit of doing a daily doodle, just, you know, no no specific prompt, just a fun little, hey, start on some art and that will start your day off right. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's all these little routines that I'm trying to set myself up. I highly recommend the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, I believe. That's 
a book that's been really helpful helpful for me to try and set up routines to get me going because I don't have you know a nine to five time. It's just these are the things I need to do today or this week, and they have to get done. Whether it's at 3 a.m. and I'm a little stressed, or if I'm on top of things and you know I'm finishing right at 5 p.m. And so, do you try to stick to a nine to five schedule, or do you just kind of however you get in the zone? No, it's however, <laughs> but it is something that I am trying to kind of set some boundaries with myself so I don't either, you know, work all day and then feel burned out at the end of the day, or I take three days off because I can, because I might need it from that burnout. So that's something that I'm definitely working on now. It's so totally hard when you check that book out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so hard when you work for yourself and at home to just turn it off too. Yeah. That's well, me it, there. <laughs> it's like I can turn it off, but it's still a mental burden on me because I, I may be, you know, playing video games or taking a nap in the back of my head. I was like, I got this big list of stuff. I should really get on it maybe after this TV show. But, you know, it's still a mental drain. And I know that it's healthier for me to just do the thing, get it done and, you know, have that off of my plate. But it still can sometimes be a struggle. Just like before, I really have to reason with myself. I have to like list off the proof that this is the right thing to do. Future you will will thank you if you actually do the thing. It doesn't always work, but I really try. So feel this. I so feel mm-hmm. this. So do you have anything that we missed that you want to talk a little bit more about? Or do you have any epic words of wisdom to conclude with? I mean, the biggest thing I can say, it's not very profound, but it's do the thing, even if it's not good. You just have to do it sometimes. I guess Nike had it right when they said, just do it, right? And even if it's not good, like that is, yeah, you are getting practice. You are putting in the work and that is the important part. Eventually the good work will come out of it. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Literally have this conversation at least once a week. <laughs> yeah. And while I may be saying this, I may publicly sound like, oh yeah, I follow this stuff to a T. I absolutely struggle with it. You know, it's still doesn't always happen, but in theory, this is what I know I should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really, yeah. really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Connected in Glass. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more information on the artists we interview and for updates on the podcast.